Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, this is a very, very important show. Um, and probably not something that you ever thought about. Quite frankly, it's not something that I ever thought about. Um, and uh, uh, and that is, this today's show is called Warning. Loneliness makes us vulnerable to our enemies. Now, my guest today um, is Stella Morabito. She's the author of a book called The Weaponization of Loneliness, how tyrants stoke our fear of isolation to silence, divide, and conquer. So this is particularly um, relevant today um, because, because first of all, more of us, you know, studies have been showing that more of us are, um, vol- are, are lonely than ever before um, because of the, um, of coronavirus, of COVID, you know, when we were locked down, we were each put into our little cocoons. And I will bet that you are finding it hard. I know a lot of people are, I am, um, to, uh, to come out back out into the world, even though, you know, for the most part, things have been, um, have been, um, you know, have opened up, uh, perhaps in some cases <laughs> too much, but uh, I'm thinking about airplanes where, you know, people aren't wearing masks and so on. But, um, and that's a whole other, that's a whole other political issue, but just in terms of uh, being cramped in a little airplane with lots of people uh, who not only in regard to COVID, but in regard to the flu and, and RSV and, you know, there are a lot of things floating around. Anyway, um, but this is also important, not just because there's an increase in loneliness, but because there's an increase or or a an empowerment of people who are trying to um, take take over our lives. And so, what I was saying at the beginning, you know, I bet you that you have a thought, and I have a thought about the connection between people taking over our lives and loneliness, and how loneliness makes us vulnerable to our enemies. So let me introduce uh, today's guest. Uh, As I was saying, Stella Morabito, she is the author of a new book, an amazing book called, as I said, The Weaponization of Loneliness, How Tyrants Stoke Our Fear of Isolation to Silence, Divide, and Conquer. So welcome to the show, Stella. Thank you very much, Dr. Carol. It's great to be here. Well, um, why don't you, well, before we get into the book and, and the subject and so on, you know, I always ask my guests, um, because I'm a psychiatrist and I want to know about your mother and your father, <laughs> I, I want, I'm only half being facetious, um, I want to know about, and I'm sure, you know, my listeners would like to know, I think it's so interesting how we each carve our own paths you know, um, which is a product, of course, of our childhood, as is everything else about us. And so this is a very, oh, well, let me wait, let me, besides telling you all about um, her book, let me give you some more uh, information. That's why you'll, you'll see why I'm asking this question about her 
background because this is a very unique kind of career that she has carved out. She has a BA in journalism and international relations. Then she got a master's degree in Russian and Soviet history, both of those from the University of Southern California. Um, she is a senior contributor to The Federalist. Uh, she publishes numerous articles there as well as other um, uh, outlets. And her essays have appeared in things, uh, publications such as The Washington Examiner, American Greatness, Public Discourse, Town Hall, and The Human Life Review. And to me, most interesting of all is that she has served as a dec- for a decade as an analyst at the CIA, where she focused on communist media, propaganda, and disinformation. So this is why now, now my listeners understand better why I'm asking you, how did a nice girl like you <laughs> ever end up in the CIA? <laughs> well, it's interesting. I, you know, I was there, uh, uh, you know, a while ago before what I would consider the, you know, the corruption of our institutions reached such a level. I was there during the Reagan years uh, throughout and, uh, and, you know, it was, but even then I can tell you that it was like a faculty lounge amongst analysts. There was still a lot of leftism, a lot of, you know, um, I don't know what what you wouldn't necessarily expect uh, from people taking oath to uh, protect and defend the Constitution of the United States. But uh, how did I end up there? Well, it, you, you know, uh, as Rosanna Anadana says, one thing leads to another. Uh, you know, I, I I've always had a fascination with um, these psychological dynamics. Uh, ever since I was a child on the playground, I would take mental notes on wh- what is all this ostracism business, you know, and then it goes on junior high and high school. And, and then you see it. And, you know, when I worked, uh, you know, as a graduate student in a faculty, uh, you know, in, in a department, a social science department, you could see it among, you know, among faculty members. It was this sort of swarming kind of uh, uh it, it, it was a kind of an ostracism, a fear of ostracism that would push people towards accepting a particular narrative. Now, it happens in all these different, um, you know, all these different venues. And of course, you would know about gaslighting. That's in a one on one venue. And you'd also know about how the cult mindset works. And, is you know, that one um, amazing and really horrific example with Jim Jones uh, leading a thousand people into what he called a revolutionary suicide back in 1978. So all of these things have fascinated me. The whole issue of Stockholm syndrome, where the captive bonds with the captor and why, I mean, why does this happen on, on the highest level? You see it with, uh, you know, world-class dictators who get whole societies to come under their grip. What is going on? And so the common thread for all of these destructive agendas, uh, whether today it's critical race theory or or all the gender ideology stuff going on and, the, you know, all the institutional corruption and, you know, the environmentalism that goes off the rails. All of this, in my view, is kind of tied together or given oxygen by the weaponization of loneliness. What happens is people become, we're, we're social creatures, right? Human beings are hardwired to connect with others. And, and so our need for human connection has a flip side, which is the primal fear of ostracism or social rejection. 
And that is our main vulnerability that has been exploited to push all of these destructive agendas forward, whether it's something that has happened in history and it has happened a lot or something happening today. You know, before we continue with that, going along that um, theory, I mean, it's not, I mean, I believe you, I agree with everything you just said, but I have to ask you a quick question. Um, Were you an only child? No, no. I was one of four siblings. I grew up in a, uh, you know, very, a cohesive household. We had our issues and everything, but it was the nuclear family. Um, You know, my, my father was, um, oh, what a great, cheerful guy he was. Uh, My mother was very, uh, what you would call today, very um, progressive or what you would say, you know, in terms of her politics. And I kind of got sucked into that. Um, But there were other influences in the community and everything. And I was able to kind of, you know, think for myself. So they, you know, that that was never, you know, that was never uh, pushed aside, you know, my ability to think for myself. But um, I, I did grow up in a, um, you know, in a household of a biological, my father, my mother, and, uh, and, and three other siblings. Um, and I'm the, se- I'm the first of three daughters and the second child. So my, I have an older brother uh-huh. and then two younger sisters. Well, okay. Um, so when you, but did you have some experience? Where where was this, by the way, that you were growing up? Oh, Southern California. Oh, you know, okay. I, I'm a I'm a native Angelino. Okay. So yeah. um, So did you have? I'll tell you why I'm asking. Why I'm you know, um, I'm an only child, and okay. when I um, went to school, uh, this is in New York city um i not having really had much exposure you know being an only child i mean i did have some play dates and so on but i mean i didn't have any siblings on on an everyday kind of basis and so when i went to school um it was like an overwhelming kind of experience um you know and i had to figure out well who what who are these creatures and what are they thinking (laughs) and how do i get them to like me right and and not ostracize me so that drove me to be you know my trying to figure out what's going on in their head is what propelled me to become a psychiatrist so i'm looking for some kind of a similar sort of i mean there must be something sort of similar that propelled you into this particular area of study well, you know, it's interesting you ask that. I'm trying to think. I've always been interested in psychology, but I, I never really got a degree in it or anything. Um, but I've always been fascinated, especially by social psychology, which is what you were focused um, you know, what you were focused on in, in mentioning, uh, you know, going into school and trying to figure out what everybody was thinking and where you fit in. Um, but I would guess that, you know, I... Um, my my drive to study journalism, of course, today, the, you know, the media is not what it what it might have been. But right. uh, I was really interested in investigation um, and, and mostly investigative journalism. Uh-huh. And I guess that's what really brought about this book. And and when you when you go in a field like that, and of course, my 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 degree, my graduate degree is in Russian and Soviet history. And how do those relate? Well, you know, I guess uh, 
I'm interested in investigating totalitarian systems and how tyrants behave and and uh and 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 also just our our human history and um so I I would I would guess that investigation in that sense uh for me involves lots of different disciplines um you know it involves uh not just psychology and history but also anthropology and sociology it involves linguistics and and uh you know studying communications and and uh so it's kind of a i guess you'd call it a schema that i i tried to put together uh that kind of came together but i think what was key in a lot of that too was um you know raising three children and actually, at one point, you know, pulling them out of the public school and homeschooling them for several years um, helped me see a lot of things, uh, you know, in terms of, um, uh, you know, just relearning a lot of things as I was teaching and, mm. um, and having them connect with other kids in the homeschool community. Uh, so, uh, you know, all of that stuff comes into play, I think. And, and it, you know, resulted, I guess, at this stage of my life in this book, The Weaponization of Loneliness. Okay. Um, and, and particularly when you did your master's in Russian and Soviet history, what got you interested in that particular area? I mean, you, you know, you could have done any country or any... Uh, what yeah, country? well, yeah, well, this was the pretty much the height of the Cold War. Well, mm -hmm. the height of the Cold War. I mean, um, it, it was at the time you had to think, OK, so I got my degree in uh, like 1980 and and uh, the Berlin Wall fell in 1989. So we were kind of in the thick of the Cold War at, at the time. And, um, you know, I had spent a couple of years uh, you know, after my degree in journalism, and I eventually uh, studied, uh, you know, when I went to study history, there was also a fantastic professor at, at USC uh, for Russian and Soviet history who I met. And so it all kind of came together um, uh, because I, I was just fascinated by, uh, you know, what was going on at the time. I, I don't know if you can think back to that era. And then also wanting to get a much firmer foothold in understanding this business with the, you know, the West versus the communist East and, and, you know, what's going on there and, um, and, you know, freedom being in the balance. Uh, so uh, I guess all of that, but you're, you're asking me some great questions that really are forcing me to think this all through. <laughs> how did you, how did I get here? <laughs> yeah, right, right. Well, um, okay, we're going to be having to take a break soon. So I don't want to start, you know, a new um, paragraph here. Um, but uh, when we come back, let's plan to talk about um, your the basis of your book in general, like the to to explain to people how um, how this works, you know, how loneliness does make us more vulnerable to our enemies. And then we can go into, you know, enemy is that through history um, who have taken advantage of this, including we'll get up to the present day with um, the elitists and, and um, um, 
you know, the, the left and, and, um, and Russia and, you know, all the people, all the current um, enemies, all the current people who are mm-hmm. using this technique to, uh, to uh, make their agenda um, be the one that we follow. And, and we'll talk about that experiment. I, I looked on your website and I watched that video about Ash and um, I remember learning about those kinds of experiments. And um, so we'll talk about that, too. So, again, my guest is Stella Morabito. Her book is called The Weaponization of Loneliness, How Tyrants Stoke Our Fear of Isolation to Silence, Divide, and Conquer. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Uh, Today's show is called Warning. Loneliness makes us vulnerable to our enemies. And my guest who is uh, talking about this is Stella Morabito. Her book, again, is called The Weaponization of Loneliness. And on the cover of her book, I love this, um, is a picture of Fauci, uh, Dr. Fauci, 
um, on a television set. This It's like the screen of a television set. And there he is wagging his finger at us. Um, and he is one of the, you know, the subtitle is How Tyrants Stoke Our Fear of Isolation to Silence, Divide, and Conquer. Now, it's funny, though, because he, ironically, he's the one who caused us to be in more isolation. <laughs> but um, mm-hmm. I, I actually started a website called um, pleasefirefauci.com. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I have been talking for ages, you know, throughout yeah. the pandemic about um, about how how dangerous he is, and yeah. um, and about how he has gotten it all wrong. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm not only an MD as you probably saw. I have a master's in public health, and public health 101. You know, the first thing they teach you is um, you don't. You know, if you want to get the public to engage in certain health behaviors because there's some health threat, you do not scare them to death. You you do it in a different kind of way and in a positive kind of way. And um, Fauci obviously did not take any public health courses or he forgot them, let's put it that way, or he just enjoyed, you know, being the tyrant and telling us mm-hmm. what to do by making us frightened and getting us into our little... Um, Homes locking us in there. So tell us, tell us about why you chose Fauci first of all for the cover. Well, um, I just thought he symbolized. He was a good symbol of the weaponization of loneliness. Now, when you have a publisher, generally the author has a say in the cover, but uh, you know doesn't make a decision uh, about the cover because you know it, it's it's something more in tune with the, the publishers. Um, you know that's his um, or her. Uh, they can decide those things. But uh, I I just thought it was fantastic uh, to have him on the cover because uh, he's really earned a lot of the, uh, you know, uh, the the anger of a lot of Americans who had lost loved ones because of the policies that he pushed and, uh, you know, allowing uh, people to be... uh, isolated in their very last hours, separating loved ones. This had happened to yes. two people I know very well. They were separated from uh, one, a mother from her son, another, a daughter from her mother. It was absolutely devastating uh, to have them taken away and put into isolation in, the, in this uh, environment, yes. the sterile environment of the hospital, and, and not have any uh, contact with, with their loved one. And uh, that that to me is like the height of sadism in all of this. Uh, yes. But, and, and so he was responsible for so many uh, of that of those things. In isolation, we had already had these headlines about loneliness epidemics in the United States, and you know, height is spiking suicide rates and uh, rates of uh, depression and uh, mental illness. Uh, but what happened with COVID is that that totally fast-tracked it all because under Fauci and company, all of that isolation was enforced and it became literal isolation. You know, you were under house arrest, you you had to stay six feet apart from people, and it stoked a lot of hostility, especially when they started these vaccine mandates. It, it caused a lot of people to be hostile to the, to their friends, losing friends and family members who had all of this fear of uh, death and, you know, when when what we're dealing with was a virus that 
was like 100% recoverable if you didn't have other major health problems. So, uh, you know, everything you were saying is absolutely right. And, uh, and so he kind of, he uh, symbolizes so much of what is wrong with this picture of, you know, where we are today. Um, and, and um, you know, I, I was going to also say one other thing about isolation. Uh, I'm going to quote Hannah Arendt, who you may know, wrote the epic work called The Origins of Totalitarianism uh, in the 1950s. And one of the points she brings up in her book is that terror can rule absolutely only over men who are isolated against each other. And therefore, one of the primary concerns of all tyrannical government is to bring this isolation about. And uh, I could tell you more about how this uh, this has happened through history. This is nothing really new, but it's happening today with the help of, uh, you know, this globalist agenda and uh, technological communications and social media is pushing us farther and farther into isolation. And then, of course, the irony and the paradox in all of this is that even if we think we're going to get relief from isolation by complying and conforming and self-censoring, that self-censorship is an issue I think is really important to discuss. But when we shut up about what we really believe and when we even lie, a lot of people just lie about what they believe. They don't really believe a lot of this stuff, but they think they'll get a pat on the back and they won't be so isolated if they just go along with it. And, and of course, that's extremely dangerous, but it's also ironic because when you think you're getting, even though you think you're getting relief from the, the loneliness that you fear uh, from saying the wrong thing or whatever, uh, you're really digging yourself in deeper. And not just as an individual, that has an effect on everybody around us. And this uh, self-censorship is like a social contagion. Mm. And, and when it catches on, then then uh you know you're you're destroying civil society in the end if if you allow it to really take root and that's where we are now so that uh censorship is not just we haven't just done all the heavy lifting for tyrants by self-censoring because that's what we do when we shut up but we're allowing them to do more top-down censorship now where we um you know where you have the so-called misinformation governance board, you know, a top down, like a tribunal, a government tribunal, that's going to decide who gets to say what to whom. And it's extremely 19, dangerous. 1984. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, but could you get into that a little bit more? Like how does, um, how does uh, our increasing loneliness like, how do the tyrants exploit our increasing loneliness? Okay, so it's really the fear of loneliness. Um, and then, of course, when more and more people are isolated, that can be, uh, that loneliness can be even more, um, uh, you know, exploited. But it begins with the natural human fear of isolation. Because as you know, um, Social isolation can lead to all kinds of health problems, not just mental health, but also physical health. Yes. So we can't really survive in isolation. So it's a very natural fear. And 
it triggers that conformity impulse that tyrants go after. They exploit the fear in order to trigger the conformity impulse. And that gets their whole train in motion because uh, with that conformity impulse, more and more people start self-censoring and creating the environment that allows uh, all of these uh, dangerous agendas to take, uh, to take uh, root. But um, when you ask how, Okay, so in my book, I talk a little about what I, well, a lot about what I call the machinery of loneliness. And um, the fuel for it is our conformity impulse, but the spark uh, is our fear. And that's what tyrants will do. They'll spark that fear in order to, um, you know, fuel the conformity, use that conformity impulse to push their agendas forward. And the machinery also has a lot of components that we know today as identity politics, political correctness, mob agitation. There are other, you know, other bells and whistles like um, the surveillance and uh, snitch culture, what I call the criminalization of comedy, which plays a role in all of this as well. Uh, it's, um, you know, it's a whole panoply of uh, components on this little dashboard, if you can visualize it, of this machine of loneliness that tries to increase our isolation that also causes us to fear isolation more. And yet, as I said before, we dig ourselves in deeper when we comply with it. So, um, you know, that that's, yeah, that pretty much sums up the machine. Maybe, maybe if you explain the... Um the ash experiment you know that would also help oh yeah yeah okay well i have a chapter called uh you know on the conformity impulse um now uh one thing i forgot to say about the machinery of loneliness is all across you know all of these different levers is uh something we would we can call the demonization campaigns and demonization as you i'm sure you're aware and many of our listeners are aware is uh, a very important component in uh, bringing a population along with a dangerous agenda. Uh, you demonize the perceived opponent, uh, whatever, you know, they, they come up with just hundreds of different names. Some of them are like, uh, today we hear bigot, hater, uh, you, know, you know, transphobe. Uh, they come up with turf is another one. Uh, they come up with uh, conspiracy theorists if you're on their, you know, over their tar over the target, and uh, you know now election denier. It goes on and on and on. Um, mm -hmm. But people, these slurs, these smears have an intense effect on people, especially people who are already isolated because of family breakdown or isolated because you know of all kinds of other environmental issues. Um, you know, community breakdown or whatever, they be, they're a lot more vulnerable to being exploited and they're good fodder for mobs. Uh, but uh, so that, that's, that's something that we have to remember is most people have an intense fear of being, uh, you know, smeared or, you know, of, of any kind of like a, even in the schoolyard cooties, you know, or, and it goes on up to Congress, you know, a lot of these uh, Republicans supposedly who vote for dangerous agendas uh, do that, I, I believe, because they're afraid of being called a bigot or whatever. So it, it has an intense effect. So the Ash experiment was fascinating. The Ash experiment in 1950, Solomon Ash, 
uh, professor at Swarthmore, uh, Swarthmore College, uh, did an experiment on social conformity, and and he he used I, I don't I don't know how much detail I can go into with the time we have, but uh, it was very basic. Most of your listeners may be aware, but the there were like ten people in the room. Only one was a subject. The other nine were all uh, collaborators with the experiment, um, and so they were all asked to match up. They, they were told, you know, this is an experiment of visual judgment. Okay. So that's what they were told. And uh, so there was one line on a card and it had, you know, a length of maybe two inches or whatever. And then another card would have three lines. One of them would match with two inches. And the other two would be like uh, maybe shorter, maybe much longer, you know? So the the uh, chance of getting it wrong, uh, it was like nil, basically. Um, so each person was told to match it up. And for the first couple trials, everybody matched up the correct line. But then the one subject who was seated last or second to the last, uh, the collaborators started giving the wrong answer, which was obviously wrong. And this is not, there's nothing political or controversial about matching up on the length of the line. So, uh, but, but what happens is, you know, if the, if the correct answer is two and, and then everybody starts saying one, 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 and then they get to the subject and the subject is like, what is this? And, 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 and quite often, almost 40% of the time, the subject consistently agreed against his obvious judgment just not to be part of the uh the you know not to be an oddball and so would give the wrong answer but um, the, on the wrong side there was a variation of this experiment oh by the way 75 percent of the time the subject went along at least once it was rare and this was back in the 1950s it was rare for the subjects to um, you know, to, uh, you know, only 25% would, even though they were uncomfortable, said what they thought. And rem remember, this is not controversial. But on the bright side, there was a variation of the experiment. And, and, and this is where uh, one of the collaborators gave the correct answer when all of the others were giving the wrong answers. So think back to this where the correct answers to and and the collaborators would say one, one, one. And then one collaborator said two. And then they continued one, one, one. And when they got to the subject, the subject would say two and look at his partner. And, um, you know, it was uh, very interesting how even just one voice of agreement can puncture that whole illusion of a unanimous agreement. Uh, it can really puncture the whole social conformity uh, process. So this is this is what uh, a lot. Th this is the bright side of all of it. Is that when you have leaders, when you have other people who say, "Wait a minute, that doesn't look right." Um, it, it, it can really. This is why tyrants hate free speech because we can hear another point of view that we might agree with, and if others agree with it, also that creates a cascade and that that you know falls their entire house of cards. And so I, I just uh, find it really interesting that um, you know that 
you know, how, how that experiment, which, uh, you know, most social psychology students will study it, but I think it needs to become common knowledge. Yes, no, that's so important because the, well, first of all, I just want to clarify something. Um, you, the, you said when, when the subject, um, uh, when after this one person who was in on it, but was told to say two, you know, at a certain point, and the subject then was able to say two, to, able to say what he really thought, right? It, what you said, he they were partners. Uh, I just want to clarify, the subject didn't know the guy who was told to oh, say no. two. It's no, just no, that no, when, no. when they when he heard someone who told the truth according to what, how he saw the world, right. then he was able to do it. And the, the reason why you're saying that it's the bright side is because, and we'll talk about this more in the next segment, is that this is the hope for our planet. This is the hope for our country in any case, right. is, is finding more voices who will speak out and tell the truth so that then there will be people who will feel like they're not going to be ostracized if they agree with that because there are people, aha, I'm not the odd one out. There's somebody right. else who's saying this. Right. Well, we need to take a break now. Um, my guest, again, is Stella Morabito. Her book is The Weaponization of Loneliness. We will be right back and talk more about how this is particularly urgent to recognize this phenomenon in today's world. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Tune into the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's Hot Topics. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. Don't write yourself off. 
And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch, where we're talking today about, I'm giving you a warning, loneliness makes us vulnerable to our enemies. And my guest, Stella Morabito, is explaining, has explained, and is going to continue to explain just how that works. Now we're going to be talking about examples, um, some past examples and some current examples, because the whole bottom line to this is, um, you know, what we were talking about in the last segment, how we were kind of the conclusion um, it's not the conclusion of the show. It's just a conclusion of the explanation that you can now apply to um, to looking at real life examples uh, out of the laboratory. So, Stella, why don't you continue? Okay. Well, if you're looking at how tyrants exploit uh, the human vulnerability uh, to the fear of being isolated. Um, you don't, uh, you, you have to understand it's not something new. Uh, this has been going on, I believe, from time immemorial, but we can really track it in modern history, uh, starting, for example, with the French Revolution. Uh, during the Jacobin reign of terror, um, you know, people were rounded up. Uh, there were, they had identity politics. Uh, they didn't call it that back then, but there were, uh, you know, the us and them thing going on where they had the revolutionaries and those accused of being counter-revolutionaries. You didn't have to be, uh, you know, supposedly guilty of anything. You just had to be accused. And uh, and mobs would go after them, and uh, you know we and I can compare that uh, to uh, the kind of mobbing we saw, for example, two summers ago in 2020 um, with Antifa and uh, you know the whole Black Lives Matter thing, and they were doing the same thing in the French Revolution that they were doing just two years ago here. They were tearing down statues. They were uh, they were. Um, doing, uh, you know, kind of rename, you know, places and streets. The French Revolution, that was a big part of it, was total erasure of the cultural memory. So you had that going on. And that, of course, is very isolating. When people lose connection with their traditions, when they lose connection with, um, you know, in France, uh, it was the de-Christianization campaign that, pretty much wiped out um, the whole calendar of the Catholic Church and they they put up a whole new calendar. And, and so anyway, my point is there, that was very destabilizing for you know people who had their traditions. And so mobbing played a big part in that, identity politics played a big part in that, and political correctness, even though they didn't call it that, played a big part in that. Then you move on and we can go next to say the Bolshevik revolution in Russia. And um, again, we had a war there that was directly against private life. Um, it, during Stalin's reign of terror, uh, children were basically taught to turn in their parents if the parents were, uh, you know, considered counter-revolutionary or, um, you know, not with the narrative. And, uh, you know, we can see these kinds of things happening today with the attack on parental rights and the sexualization of children in schools. And, and uh, you know, it just goes on and on with, you know, the indoctrination. Uh, and, and that played a big part in uh, the Bolshevik Revolution and communist uh, Russia. 
And then uh, you can go on to Nazi Germany. And man, did they have identity politics. I mean, oh, people were classified according to their race. And, and uh, it was a different sort, I suppose, than what you would call today's. But it, it still stoked a lot of hostilities. Uh, you know, the same kind of hostilities are seem to be stoking through today's identity politics. And uh, and then um, you can go to Mao's Cultural Revolution. That's probably one of the prime examples because there's so many millions who uh, were killed um, uh, as a result of Mao's Cultural Revolution uh, that went from 1966 to 76. And he used um, mobs of youth. It's very interesting. Quite often, all of this is mobs of youth. You know, he had the Red Guard. The Soviets had the Komsomol. The Nazis had the brown shirts. Uh, the French Revolution, you know, they had their mobs that 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 uh, didn't have a name for them, but they, uh, you know, they were pushing the whole, uh, you know, this whole frenzy, um, you know, killing the uh, so-called enemies of the revolution. So uh, all these utopian kind of radical revolutions uh, have this same undercurrent where they stoke that fear of isolation. And getting back to Mao, uh, the, the big instrument he used was something called the struggle session. And in the struggle session, a person was uh, kind of paraded around by a uh, red guard. Often they, they, you know, put dunce caps on them or something. They were considered an enemy of the revolution. About a million just from the mob activity are estimated to have been killed in this, uh, you know, by red guard uh, mobs. Uh, and that was not that long ago, between 66 and 76, 19, you know, 76. So um, anyway, this stoking of hostilities and this uh, social contagion of anger and, uh, you know, and fear actually of being isolated uh, and being uh, singled out the way the mob singled out people for struggle sessions, um, you know, was very contagious. Uh, the, you know, with the struggle sessions also, there were um the bystander was never really safe and and you you had to participate in the ridicule you had to even if it was a family member or a friend or a neighbor you had to participate in the ridicule and the beating and all the violence to prove that you weren't a counter-revolutionary so this is how it works and it's really dangerous stuff and uh and so uh, but they all have the same components of that machinery of loneliness I was talking about earlier and that I talk about in my book, The Weaponization of Loneliness. Uh, you know, there's identity politics, political correctness, uh, you know, the social conformity, the mob activity. It's all there. <laughs> so, OK, so now, you know, a couple of things um, I thought of while you were talking. Well, first of all, you know, one of the things, uh, uh, thanks to Fauci and friends, um, and other politicians um, with COVID, you know, where they closed the the uh, churches and synagogues, you know, because uh, they people weren't allowed to to gather in groups. Um, that's another uh, con contribution to this loneliness um, yes. and to the erasure, you know, culture being erased. 
exist and so on. Of course, you know, it's like people who thought it was bad or who thought it didn't matter that um, Dr. Seuss books were, you know, canceled. Well, it really does, because just what you were saying about how, you know, it's all about uh, erasing culture, erasing this feeling of belonging, uh, Mm -hmm. our identity that um that you know makes us vulnerable to um to the to tyrants and then you know you're talking about uh in with stalin kids turning in their parents it made me think of uh january 6th when kids turned in their parents um if Mm. if their parent was part of the january 6th uh trespassing Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, the kids turned them in well okay talk about how I mean, I mentioned a couple of things related to today, but tell us um, more about like how this, who are the tyrants today and how are they using this? Phenomenon? Yeah, well, things are different today than they were in the 20th century with all those other utopian radical uh, movements that I was talking about. Uh, what makes today different is that you've got kind of an oligarchy that's global. You know, there's not one single dictator, demagogue that we can point to. We can point to Fauci, but he's like part of this big, he's not, there's no charisma really there. I mean, he, it's, um, it's not, um, it's, it's kind of, it seems disconnected in the sense that uh, you've got these actors all over the place in all these different parts of the world and there's no single one. We can talk about Klaus Schwab, you know, and his great reset and uh, this just kind of moronic vision for humanity. I mean, just really, um, it, it, it's just a very dark vision uh, that I guess okay. because of some- Yes, yeah. like and he said, China is the example of the uh, ultimate country. The, you know, this is how society should be. China, communist, a really strict um perhaps the worst communist country um so how is it though that um that people how that they have gotten people um you know what's his name in china in um canada trudeau and um newsom my uh, the governor of california who is oh it just gets worse every day comes up with worse and worse ideas um uh, and, and all these other people, you know, and yes, as you say, like a gold oligarchy in various countries and so on. But they're kind of like working together to bring this great reset and all that. Now, how does this um, loneliness theory apply to them? Or are, like, why did they buy into this? It's just their pa- that right. they want power and they're just using loneliness uh, to um, to get the people who they are in control of to buy into it. Right. Well, they're very good at demonization campaigns. And we saw that in Canada with, uh, you know, the truckers last year. And we saw it, of course, January 6th doing these unconstitutional, uh, you know, uh, jailings of of people, uh, you know, in solitary confinement without, uh, you know, trial. Um, So it's uh, how is it that they all seem to be working in concert and yet they're, you know, kind of seem disconnected. I mean, they all have their own kind of ambitions. I mean, it's not just leaders, you know, like uh, uh, public officials like Trudeau or Macron or Newsom or, you know, but it's also corporate CEOs and it's, of course, the media and especially big tech, titans of big tech. 
They all seem to be working in concert. And the Democrat Party, of course, is a big part of all that. And um, they all seem to be working in concert. And yet they do have their own kind of separate ambitions. And, and uh, you know, there's no like one leader at this point that mm-hmm. we can point to. Um, they have this dark vision of uh, total control over what I see as um uh, a mechanical kind of society, you know, uh, it, it's, it's very, uh, unhuman. It's very dehumanizing. Um, they think, I suppose that there'll be peace and, you know, uh, you know, they've well, got it all under control, but, but I, I don't know. I mean, it's, well, it's uh, really about having people, um, you know, having the state, having uh, the state control everything, having the state give universal, giving money to people, you know, um, everybody dependent upon the state for money, um, no capitalism, all of that kind of stuff. But I just, since we're running out of time, I could talk to you forever. Since we're running out of time, I just want to bring forth, um, emphasize your your point of the positive part of this, what we can do to, <laughs> to not right. be controlled, which right. is... Um, to not be lonely is to gather in groups and to share ideas and to, you know, be just like in that experiment to, to not have other partner. Well, you know, pe- other people um, partner in it. Now you can partner in a sense because you're, you're making right. them your friends and so on. Um, and so that you, you don't, you're not afraid. You're not the only voice in the room. You gather other people who believe the way you do so that you can um, have a voice against the tyrants. Now I want to make sure we have time to, <laughs> to again, I want to tell people again, your book, the name, the title, The Weaponization of Loneliness, How Tyrants Stoke Our Fear of Isolation to Silence, Divide and Conquer. Conquer, conquer. <laughs> um, my guest again, thank you, Stella Morabito. Of course, uh, people can um, go to your website, which is stellamorabito.net. Um, okay. And, and also my author page at The Federalist. Okay. All right. That's uh, certainly you can all find it. And this isn't really interesting and incredibly important stuff. So thank you for being here, sharing your wisdom, and thank all of you for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.